Alright, welcome back to Christian Tactician. I appreciate the opportunity to spend a, a little bit more time talking with you about this thing that I feel a lot of passion about, trying to encourage the men who are uh, trying to strive for Christian manhood. Um, I hope that you took an opportunity to listen to the first podcast that I did on the burden of manhood. Hope that as you listen to it, that it was something that you can put to use, something that had started a, a line of thinking in your mind. And uh, I, I hope that you bear with me as I continue. Um, you know, my, my desire is just to put out something to benefit, something that can be an encouragement to those who listen to it. And so uh, if you've uh, looked at the title of this second podcast, you'll see that uh, I've titled it Jonathan Love David. And uh, hopefully you uh, looked at that title and you and you thought about um, that I'm, I'm pulling from Scripture here. I'm pulling from uh, David. We know who David was, David and Goliath, right? And Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of Saul. And uh, we're going to read some scripture about that. But really what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about one of these foundational principles of being a man. And that is this foundation of friendship and love. And, uh, you know, there's something I want to start with the scripture. And it's in Proverbs 18.24. And it says this, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You know, there's this interesting thing. And Solomon hits on it here in this in this scripture in Proverbs, that there is something to the bond of friendship. There's something to the bond that comes between two people. And I find this incredibly true in, uh, in, in, in the bond that comes between men. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. There's, I, I thought about this the other day. So I still keep track of and have good relationships with uh, these guys that I worked with for years on a police department. And there are several of them that, um, that I worked with on the SWAT team that we keep track of each other. So I was over at one of these guys' house the other day doing some work with him. And it was uh, interesting because, you know, when I got there, we shook hands and that handshake moved right into a hug. And uh, we said to each other then as we said hello to each other. And when the day was over and we were parting our ways, we hugged again, shook hands, and we hugged again. And we both told each other that we love each other. Hey, I love you. I want you to know that. It's it's kind of an interesting thing, you know, as men, sometimes we struggle with that. We struggle to say, I love you to women in our life. We struggle to say, I love you sometimes. Uh, but I've, I found this thing that it's it's kind of strange. So I want to, if, you, if you've ever watched this movie, maybe you'll see this thing here. Um, you'll remember this particular part, the movie Saving Private Ryan, right? If you remember this movie Saving Private Ryan, it starts out and all these men are attacking Omaha Beach, right? Normandy. And uh, they finish that, that first day and everything, and then they have to go on this rescue mission to uh, rescue Private Ryan, right? And as part of it, they pick up this uh, clerk who um, their only reason they needed him was because he spoke French and German, right? And he's kind of this dorky, geeky guy. He wants to take his typewriter and all that sort of stuff anyhow. And he uh, and he goes on this mission and he's going with this squad of men who have been together uh, through training and they have attacked, they have, they have gone into. You see one part where uh, this one sergeant there, he's collecting dirt and you see that he's been to Italy and he's been to Africa and he's been to all these places, right? So these men have been together battling for a long time. Anyway, so they get going and they're, um, they're walking through the French countryside and so the, the medic is trying to to make conversation with this clerk who's kind of a dork and nobody wants anything to do with him and says, hey, I, you said you were writing a book. What are you writing this book on? And the, the clerk says, oh, I'm writing the book on the bond that happens between men uh, through, through war and through battle. And so 
Then they cut to these two guys who are in the squad, these two tough guys and all that, and they start to make fun of him. Oh, what do you know about the bond between guys who are battle? You know, is hey, fish, get a load of this guy. And they kind of make fun of him for a second. But then they, they, they pan to these two men who are making fun of him, and one of them looks at the other one and blows him a kiss. And the other guy looks back at him and blows him a kiss back. So, you know, the, it, it sounds kind of funny, and, and I'm not trying to insinuate or anything like that, that these guys, because of their friendship, are going to kiss each other or anything like that. But it was interesting because really the point that was being made in that movie was is that men do build these bonds with each other that become bonds that are, that are deep friendships. And what are they really grounded in? They're grounded in love for each other. You know, so I started looking a little bit online, and of course that's always dangerous to look online, but I did this little search about men telling each other I love you. And uh, so reading online, I, I found some comments that lends, that, that helped me to understand that men become willing to express love or deep connection with other men, with other friends in their life, when their relationship or their shared experiences become binding to each other. Which is why you find like soldiers who, are, who, who act like that, who uh, have this bond and they're willing to express the deep emotion that they have for the brothers who are there with them. And really, it's a friendship, right, that they have. Um, so I, I look at, you know, there were guys who I went through the police academy with. There were guys who were on different squads with me. Uh, there were guys who were on the, the SWAT team with me. We had these shared experiences, shared misery, shared experiences together, and, and it became binding to us. So there was a partner that I had a um, couple years on the police department, and he and I got got in a in a, a deadly force incident, and we killed a man. And uh, it was interesting because this this particular guy, you know, he's um, very manly and everything, and you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't want to want to hug another guy or anything like that. But you know, and, and I kind of knew this going into it. You know, I mean, guys kind of joke around with each other and that sort of stuff. He was never into that sort of thing. Nothing that that could even insinuate. Uh, I, I think in his mind, he was afraid if, if he showed some emotion towards other men that it would make him feel like less of a man or that he was gay or something like that. You know, which is which is a real fear, right? Sometimes as men, that's a reason why we don't want to express and we don't want to let friendships or relationships go to the depth that they that uh, we hope to have especially with other men so getting back to this so we got in this deadly force incident we got in this shooting we killed somebody I'm driving home that night and driving home and he calls me and uh, as he calls me he's talking over some of these things that had happened and 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 I could tell it was a struggle for him but he wanted to express to me he said I, I'm willing to to, to go through what I went through just now for my loved ones. You are one of my loved ones. And it was very difficult for him to say that. But he was expressing something to me, something that happened. And, and you know, he and I have, have had uh, this bond ever since then. It's a bond that, that uh, I've had with many of these guys who I've worked with, that we've fought together, we've physically had fights together, we've done, we've been miserable together, you know, uh, cold and wet and uncomfortable and all that sort of stuff. I have this relationship with men uh, in my spiritual life who we've we've struggled with difficulties in in each one of our life. Um, we've we've uh, gone through heartache and difficulty and all that together. And you know, I love them. I love these men. They are my friends. And when we go through these situations that that uh, bond men together, and and it's not just I mean, you know if you've never been a soldier, you've never been a police officer, firefighter, never been through any of these things. Uh, you know, you can have these relationships, these deep friendships with other people, with other men especially. And, you know, I, I keep saying that. Um, 
men have to have friends with other men. You have to have someone, and we're going to talk about that in the course of this podcast, but to have other men to, to encourage, to strengthen, to, to be manly with, to, be, uh, to, to talk about um, the struggles that only guys are really able to understand. These things are important. You, you bond with other men. And, and, and there's something that I've noticed is, now, I don't have any physical brother, right? I don't have a, any brother who shares blood with me. I have no shortage of brothers, though. And when I say brother, uh, what I'm really talking about is a deep, deep friendship. And and I found this to be true in my life, and I found this to be true. You don't have to look very far in the world here. Solomon says that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and I've seen that. I've seen that where, you know, there are men who, who a, a, a friendship is, is deeper to them than blood. And why is that? You know, when somebody's willing to sacrifice for you, whether it's physical sacrifice, whether it's sacrifice of their time, uh, coming and helping you out, any of those things that we do for those people who are important to us in our life, you know, you come to expect that from someone who shares blood with you. Right. I expect my if I had a if I had a, an actual brother, I would expect certain things of him because we share blood together. Right. We have this family bond that there is a responsibility that comes with it. At least it's it's an unspoken understanding. But when you have somebody who has no bond other than their, I'm gonna use the word and it sounds weird, affection. Okay. The way that they feel about you, the bond that you guys have built, and there's no blood between you, and yet you have this bond that comes that comes closer, it comes stronger than a blood bond with a brother. There's something there. They stick closer than a brother. So I want to spend some time here uh, uh, in this particular podcast, and I want to talk about friendship. I want to talk about how important it is that you as a man cultivate friendship with other men, that you consider how to be a loyal friend not only to other men, but to, to the other people in your life, to your to your wife, or if you have some female friends. I, I think we need to be always cautious. Men always have to be cautious with female friends. I think that um, that's that's something that's ripe for trouble. Uh, it's ripe for, for difficulty. You know, if you're married, if you're a married man, my opinion, my personal opinion is you should not have female friends that you are in, in frequent contact with. Uh, I think it just, it, it, it's dangerous. I think it, um, it can cause more problems. Um, I'm not saying that you don't have any sort of friendship or any sort of relationship with anybody other than men or your wife. I think you just have to be really careful. But what I really want to talk about, and I want to encourage us today, is you looking to those men in your life, uh, those friends that you have, how you build them up, how you become a good strength and a support. I want to look at, through scripture, I want to look at some of these things that are indicative of strong Christian manly friendships. And so one of these first things I look at is I want to look at one of these aspects of friendship, one of these aspects of a bond that comes between two people and especially two men that brings them together. And it's this bond that comes through loyalty. Loyalty. A friend is loyal. He does not desert others. And, and I want to I wanna go through and I want to read some of these things about this loyalty. If you're not familiar with the story of David and Jonathan, Saul's son, I'm going to encourage you to turn into the book of 1 Samuel and, and begin to read about these things. And I pulled out some, some uh, scriptures here. I want to I spend uh, some time here examining what godly friendship is and I want to I want to use this this particular story to emphasize it. So I'm going to begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. So 1 Samuel 18 1 through 8 it says this, and it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
And Saul took him that day, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, and gave it to David, and his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. So this particular story, if you were to read in chapter 17, it's the story of David and Goliath, right? And here this young man, David, we, I mean, we all know the story, right? David goes, and he and he destroys this foe that seemed to be impossible to destroy and saved the kingdom, right? Saved the kingdom. And Jonathan, it says that that he looked at David and because of the sacrifice, because of the things that David did, because of the quality of character and truthfully, because I think the Lord was working on the heart of Jonathan and he recognized in David, as I think we're going to see later, he recognized in David that the Lord had part and purpose for this man. The Lord knit his soul together with David. And this was a relationship that was essential and it was important. As we look through this, it was important uh, through uh, what was going to happen between Saul and David over the coming chapters, however long that took. This relationship was important. But one of these things that we see here is that Jonathan and David, they, they began this friendship, this deep relationship with each other, and it came through a trial. It came through a difficulty. And so the first thing I want to try to encourage you to do, I want to talk about this loyalty. I want to talk about this friendship that comes. But one of these things to recognize is, is that if you are going through a trial, find a friend to lean on. That friend who is willing to encourage and strengthen you and be with you through that trial, you will knit your souls together. That word knit, you know, I didn't look it up, um, but as I think about that, I think when you knit something together, uh, you would knit together uh, some clothing or something like that. You're taking individual strands and you're intertwining them to the point that they become one and they become strong together. And we need to have strong, manly friendships in this church, in your life. You need strong men around you, men who are going to hold you to a certain standard, who you can hold to another standard that is the same, equal, the Christian standard, the godly standard. You need these men in your life. You need to have people who are willing to call you out. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Men who are willing to challenge you. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Men who are going to be loyal to you in the face of adversity, in the face of personal struggle and all of that. And so you begin to see this this friendship and this loyal relationship building right here between Jonathan and David. And Jonathan loved David. It says he loved him as his own soul. And as we'll read later, David loves Jonathan and expressed it after Jonathan's death, the the grief that he had for this man that he loved who had uh, died in battle. And and I want to take just a moment here. I'm going to say this so many times during this podcast, talking about love between two men. There is nothing that is sexual about that. There is nothing that we should be afraid of saying it or feel weird about it. You know, I don't feel weird expressing my love for my mother, and yet I have no sexual desires or anything like that. I don't have any, any uh, trouble expressing my love for my grandfather. I don't have any uh, sexual desires or anything like that, right? What we're doing is we're expressing a bond when we say that. We're expressing a bond that is deeper than just caring about someone. It's deeper than just liking them. It's it's recognizing that there is a piece of you that has been knit together with them, that that, that relationship that you have is important. And really, we don't have a better word for it. I don't think there's a better word to express my feeling for some of these friends that I have than, than love. I can't express it any better than that. I wish there was a word that could express the depth of feeling that I have for some of these men in my life who have been willing to sacrifice and suffer with me, who we've gone through misery together, we've gone through times of great joy, and we've we've uh, struggled, and we've been victorious, and we've laughed, and we've cried, and, and all of these things. 
the only word I can describe it is, is love. My, my soul, my heart, my, my, my everything in me is knit with them, knit together, just like Jonathan and David became knit together. And what did Jonathan do? He gave him his robe. He gave him his, his garments, even down to his sword, his bow, and his girdle. The prince of Israel began to give things uh, to his, his friend that he loved. I want to continue here. If you turn into the next chapter, 1 Samuel 19, and beginning in verse 1. So there was a lot that happened between chapter 18 and 19. And the biggest thing is, is that all of a sudden Saul had realized that the people were liking David. David more than they were liking him. And he had done things that he wasn't supposed to do. And we know that that uh, Samuel, the prophet, had already ordained David that he was going to be king. And so it was simply a matter of time. Things had to happen. Between chapter 18 and 19, what happened was the people began, because of what David did, because how he slew Goliath, this young and, and, and seemingly insignificant man, went and destroyed the biggest, most ferocious thing that was in front of the the. Uh, Israelites, the people were lifting him up, right? Just like you would anybody else who did that. Well, that, that, that bothered Saul. That bothers Saul. And so all of a sudden now Saul has changed from, from pulling in and, and, and um, showing appreciation and all this to someone who helped his kingdom become victorious to now a man who wants to kill David. We're seeing here, and we're going to see here, this aspect of, of manly friendship, love, and loyalty that Jonathan begins to show. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, and Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art. And I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see, that will I tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee word very good. So we see right here that, that Saul, okay, the king, right? The king, he could do whatever he wanted. And he told all of his servants, and he told Jonathan his son, When you see David, I want him dead. You will kill him. And when he heard that, Jonathan was sad. And he, you know, imagine the place that this put Jonathan his father, who I'm sure he loved, who he had, um, you know, you have this, this blood kinship with, right? And I'm sure that he loved his father and David, his friend, who his soul was knit together with. And his dad saying, you see this man and you will kill him. Uh, you know, later on, in, as you read through all of this, you know, Saul begins to recognize that Jonathan is, is, is helping out David and all that. But at this point, I don't know that it's as, as well established. So in a lot of ways, Jonathan made a choice right here, a choice of loyalty. And it wasn't just a loyalty that was because of his affection for David. It was also because I believe very much that Jonathan recognized that David was the rightful heir to the kingdom of Israel at this point. And he also had this, this godly righteousness that he wasn't going to kill an innocent man. And he told told his dad this. He told Saul this. He says, don't sin against David because he hasn't done anything to you. And everything that he's done has been good to you. He's been to, to, to you. He's, he's done things to profit you and he's never done anything against you. And what we see is, is that if you were to go on reading there, that Saul took the, the advice of Jonathan and, and he, and he took, he, he took it in and, and he decided that he did not want to kill David. Now, of course, Saul was, was very much, uh, back and forth, right? Because, one moment he loves David, the next moment he's throwing a javelin at him while David's playing the harp to calm him down and all that stuff, right? But in the meantime, what you see is, so let's go into chapter 20, right? First Samuel chapter 20, beginning in verse 
12. Right here we find it again. Saul's trying to kill David. Jonathan's in between, and Jonathan's running diversion, and he's going to be loyal to his friend, and he's going to be looking to help him. So verse 12, uh, 1 Samuel 20, 12. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow any time, or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I send not unto thee, and show it to thee, the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do thee evil, then I will show it thee, and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace. And the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. And yet, not only while I live, show me kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again, because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So as we go through that reading there, let's you know, I kind of jumped in in the middle of something that was going on, but basically here we have it again. We we recognize from the beginning here, now, now Jonathan recognizes David is going to be the king of Israel. It's just a matter of time and a matter of circumstance that has to happen for David to take his rightful place. Saul, at some point, in some way, is going to have to be removed. And Jonathan, yet again, is making this choice that he's going to be loyal to his friend who has done no wrong, and he's going to support and strengthen him at the expense of his relationship with his father. And recognizing that it was going to cause trouble and difficulty, he makes this covenant with Jonathan and says, I'm sorry, he makes this covenant with David and says, you know, David, I am going to tell you any bad thing that my father intends to do that you may uh, be taken care of and and you all I'm asking of you is that you show me kindness when you take over this kingdom and not just me show kindness to my family and and he's he told David he said you know I am going to sacrifice I am going to show this loyalty against my father the king and and certainly I I'm sure that that in some ways it was at risk of his life because Saul at that time was pretty unpredictable. And Jonathan was willing to do this for David. And, and he said, all I'm asking of you is as I'm taking care of you, would you take care of me and would you take care of my family? And in some ways, I wonder if when Jonathan makes him swear this, if Jonathan didn't have a little bit of that godly foresight, if he didn't have some understanding of what was going to happen. Because as we go a little bit farther here, we're going to see that David, you know, he takes care of Jonathan's son at a later date. But you know, you we, we look at this and we see that there was this loyalty that was built on this foundation of godliness, this godly love that Jonathan had for David. And what was Jonathan doing? You know, he was, it was sacrificial. He was willing to sacrifice everything to do what was right on behalf of his friend. Um, it was important to him. He was, he was acting on the righteousness that he knew that he was supposed to have. He was protecting and he was encouraging and he was the voice of comfort oftentimes to David. And he was willing to do these things at the expense of his own pleasure at the expense of perhaps his own position, right? Eventually, I mean, he, he had to have known even so, so backing up here, you look in, in this particular reading that he's acknowledging that this kingdom is going to be David's at some point, And yet he's more than willing to give up the position that he by birthright should have that whenever Saul would die, the kingdom should be Jonathan's. But he recognized that David was God's anointed, and he loved David. And he was willing to forego what would have been his rightful place. He was willing to forego comfort and all of those things because of the bond that he had with his friend. That's deep. That's deep, and, and 
you know, it's difficult for us to try to bring up an equivalent example in today, but I, I want us to just think about that is, is what do you consider to be loyalty that you have with the brothers who are around you? First uh, Samuel chapter 20, verse 32 through 34. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? This is Saul again was trying to get somebody to kill David. Someone killed David. And Jonathan says, what, what has he done? And so verse 33 we see, And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. If you look at this particular reading, what was it that happened? Yet again, Saul is like, why is David still alive? I want this man dead. And Jonathan says, what has he done? What has this man done against you? And Saul, realizing that Jonathan was fully loyal to David at this point, to his friend, he took up his own javelin and flung it. Saul picked up a javelin and threw it at Jonathan. I don't want to hear you defending this man. And Jonathan rose and he left and he was grieved because his father had, had done shame to David. And he was willing at that point, he, he didn't turn his back on his father because what you would see a little bit farther is, is that, you know, Jonathan and Saul, they both died in battle. So he didn't leave his father, but he was definitely turned from him. So let's go down the line, right? We're going to go backwards in a little bit and, and read what David said about Jonathan after Jonathan's death. But I want to, I want to look at this real quick is that this loyalty, this love that these two men had for each other, it extended on. And what we see here is many years after Jonathan's death, David has been king. David is thinking back and he's thinking back on this relationship with Jonathan, his friend who he loved. And he begins to say this in 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left in the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said to him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I might show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mehibihosheth, well, that's a mouthful, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephihosheth, and he answered, Behold, thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, saith the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. 
So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. Boy, that was quite a name that Jonathan decided to uh, curse me with in this podcast. (laughs) But uh, there's something that I see here that is also this uh, aspect of friendship, this aspect of loyalty and love, is that we look out for the needs of others continually. A friend, someone who has love for another person that that other, uh, those other men you have in your life that you love, you know, your love should extend to those who are surrounding them, to their children, to their wife, to their needs, that if they have some sort of a need that you are there and you are willing to help them out, you know, this is a, this is what friends do. This is what uh, friends do for each other. Um, there's, there's all these, you know, there's songs and stuff like that that talk about that, you know, that who's willing to, to get up in the middle of the night and go drag you out of a ditch and all that sort of, sort of stuff, you know, men, and friends that have this bond, this love for each other, they're willing to do those things. And I want you to look at your life, and I want you to look at your friendships, and I want you to consider how loyal you are. I want you to consider, as I talk about this next part, I want you to consider if you are loyal even in the face of adversity. So going back to movies here, I'm sure most of you have seen The Lord of the Rings. And if you watch The Lord of the Rings, you see that there is this there is this uh, relationship that you watch over the course of this movie between Sam and Frodo, right? Frodo, the main character, he's the one, he's got this ring and he's got to do this thing. He's got to take it to this giant volcano and throw it in because this ring has got power and all that. And everybody's trying to fight him and cause all sorts of issues. And Sam, his friend Samwise Gamgee, who is his gardener, but he was his friend, was with him the entire time. Well, in that last movie, you get to this point where Frodo, you know, he's so uh, taken with anxiety and, and he's and he's worried that everybody's trying to get the ring from him and all that. And of course, you got that freaky uh, little troll dude, Gollum, who's telling Frodo that Sam's going to try to take everything and all that sort of stuff. And it comes to this point where after all these things that they've been through and after all the sacrifices and everything that Sam chose to do for Frodo, Frodo screams and yells at him and says, go home, Sam. I don't want you with me anymore. You get out of here. And Sam, he's crying and he, and he leaves and, you know, Frodo and Gollum are going one way and Sam's going the other down that really long, freaky stairway cliff thing. And as he's doing it, you know, he's crying. Frodo's, Frodo's leaving, Frodo's going the other way and Sam's crying because he loves his friend and he's afraid for his welfare. He's afraid that this, uh, beast, this golem is going to kill him, which was his intent. And he's going and, and he's and he's crying because he doesn't want to see this happen to his friend. And he gets to a place where he sees that, that there was some treachery that Gollum had done. And you know, when you find in the end that despite all of those things, and despite all of the things that Frodo had done and sent him away and was a jerk and all this stuff to him, that in the end, it was Sam who came back. And Sam who helped to save Frodo's life. You know, a friend is loyal even through adversity, whatever that adversity might be. You know, there's another movie that had to do with with this man who won the Medal of Honor in World War II, and the movie's called Hacksaw Ridge, and it was about this man. He was a medic, and uh, this medic, you know, he wouldn't pick up a gun, but he went, he saved innumerable lives. Well, there's this part in it that I, I'm here to tell you, brothers, It I just had this hard time even talking about it because I, I look at it, and I see uh, this aspect of manhood that I think sometimes 
we don't grasp as we ought to. So here, this medic is going through this battlefield, and they're going through, he and this and this other medic, and they're triaging men quickly. And he gets to this place, and he looks at this man, and this man is terribly injured. I don't remember if his legs were blown off or whatever it was. And this other medic who's with him looks at the guy who's wounded and says, he's not worth your time. He's not going to make it. Move on. And as he gets ready to move on, this wounded man grabs a hold of him and says, don't leave me. I have a family. I have children. And I apologize that I'm getting emotional here. But you know, I watch that. And I think about that. And I think about how often in my life, when there have been those who are around me who have been going through adversity, and it was going to take effort on my part. It was going to take sacrifice on my part for me to be with them and to try to to help them through their struggles and all that. How many times do we find ourselves feeling like, you know, I don't got time for this. I don't got time for this. You know what? This You brought this on yourself. You made the choices that brought you here. And so you deserve this wound, this terrible thing. You know, this medic, he couldn't do it. He couldn't leave that man. He just couldn't do it. And I've uh, considered that. Do I have that kind of loyalty? We should have that kind of loyalty, that kind of bond, that kind of love for those around us, for, for men and women, but especially in our friendships with other men. So what happened? Back to the story of Jonathan loves David. Jonathan died. Died in battle. He was killed. And in Second Samuel chapter 1, You know, David writes this song about Saul and about Jonathan. But in verse 26, he says, I'm distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me, and thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. Just the reading of that, it sounds a little strange, but what's he saying? He's saying that the relationship that I had with you, the bond that we had together, it was so good. It was so wonderful. I have a hard time putting my finger on something that has bonded me closer than this friendship that we had. I hope we find and I hope we have these friendships with each other. What's another aspect of friendship? This foundational, one of these foundational aspects of manhood. Friendship, right? What's another part of it? I want us to consider the fact that, you know, that a man and that a friend is, is available to listen He's a willing to communicate. He's self-sacrificial. So I, I, I want to I wanna read this, this uh, scripture in Proverbs 27, 17. And I'm sure you know this. It says, iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know, this is one of those things about being uh, friends is that friends don't let each other fail. They don't let each other wallow in the mire. They call each other higher and they encourage. And and part of that calling each other higher, part of that being involved in each other's life is listening to what's going on. You know, I did this quick little search on how to become a better Christian friend. And it's all these simple things that we all know. Hey, when you're having a conversation, really listen. Now, don't just hear what they're saying. Really listen. Listen to what they're saying. Offer calm and patient and loving and positive communication back, suggestions and encouragement. Sometimes they just need to be heard. But do these things. Be available to listen. Be willing to sacrifice time. Self-sacrificial, right? It's not always convenient when somebody calls you up in the middle of the night or texts you in the middle of the night. Take that time. 
Be willing to sacrifice for those who are around you, men and women, but but in your friendships, right? Be willing to sacrifice. You know, we, we saw this, that, you know, Jonathan was willing to, to sacrifice his position, his safety. He gave him his own clothes for Pete's sake. He was willing to sacrifice for his love, for his friendship with David. This is what makes a good friend, right? Someone who's willing to get beyond the, the base layer of, of acquaintances and begin to, to talk about things that matter to that other person, uh, begin to know them and to know their quirks and to know all those things, right? And then once you know those things and you begin to recognize each other's weaknesses and struggles, then iron begins to sharpen iron. Then you sharpen your friends. We don't leave men behind. We work with them. We work for them. We sacrifice for them. We're stronger together. We're absolutely stronger together. I'd rather go into battle with a hundred men than go in by myself. Whether it's a physical battle or a spiritual battle, I want to go with other men. I want to fight with other men. I want them to pray with me. I want them to help me through my struggles. And, you know, uh, as I look at what my responsibility is, is, you know, I need to be willing to sacrifice. I need to not leave men behind. I need to be willing to give them my time and my effort. And I need to be willing to take time to sharpen them. If you have this friend in your life who is struggling, he's making bad decisions, you know, you owe it to him as a friend, as a loyal, godly man, you owe it to him to call him up higher, come up higher, sharpen him, sharpen him. This is what our responsibility is. Arise and be a man. What's another aspect of this, of friendship? I have written here, it says it helps hold others to the path, to that path of godliness, to that path of, of Christian manhood, to that Christian walk. Help hold others to the path. And how do you do it? Through love, through counsel, through prayer. And so I have here as a scripture to consider, I have this, this uh, story about Job, right? What happened with Job? Here this, this trial comes on Job. And for whatever reason, you know, Satan was looking to try to make a point, try to prove a point. And, and Job was the one who was going to be the recipient of it. And these terrible things that were not fair happened to Job. He lost everything. It wasn't fair what happened to him. And even his wife, in some ways was turning from him. You know, it just curse God and die. And Job sits there, right, taking a broken pot and scraping the boils that are on him and everything. And he's sitting there and what happens? Job chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temnite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Naamite. For they made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads towards heaven. And so they sat down upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw his grief was very great. You know, we go on from there, and if you read the whole book of Job, you're going to realize that his friends, they went there to encourage him, and they didn't always do a good job. But there's something that is important to being there for someone else, for being there. And even if all it is is you're going to sit with them in silence for seven days, there's something that bonds people together with shared pain. I learned that a long time ago, and I learned that in the academy, and I've learned that throughout difficult things I've been through. Shared pain is bonding. 
right? It bonds people together. Taking on somebody else's burdens is bonding. It grows love. This is something that we need to be willing to do. These men left their own homes. They, they left wherever it was. You know, they went and they sat there silent for seven days, which tells me they didn't eat, they didn't drink, so they fasted with him. I'm sure in their silence that they spent time in prayer. What can I say? What can I do? It says when they saw Job and they saw what terrible things, that, that they, couldn't be, they couldn't get control of their emotions. They were overcome with sadness for the terrible things that had happened to their friend. And then what did they do? As I said, you know, you read through the book of Job, and, and these guys weren't always in the right, in the, in the words they were saying and all that stuff, but they were trying to encourage. They were trying to call up. They were trying to help him make sense of something that was really hard to make sense of. And, you know, if you look at the end of Job, right, I, I haven't seen where God told Job why. You know, these men were trying to help Job understand why, and, and in their own weak humanness, they were trying to do it. But, you know, what, what was it that you saw there, though? You saw this self-sacrificial aspect of friendship. You saw this uh, sharpening aspect of friendship. You saw this giving counsel. You saw this aspect of prayer being invested in this other person's life. You know, we do that. Do that for the men in your life. Be invested in there. If they're going through a struggle, go over and, and sprinkle dust on your head and sit there in silence and pray with them. Be willing to support the men in your life. This is what we're called to do. This is what godly friendship, this is what manly friendship is about. You know, I haven't looked at a whole lot of uh, things in the Book of Mormon, and I just look at one of them. Is that, you know, there were these men that were friends, and it was Alma, and it was the, the sons of, of Mosiah, who was the king. And you know that this particular incident happened, that all of those men together at first, they were anti-Christ, right? They were going and trying to destroy the church, and, and they had this, this, this outrageous experience happen where they were called to repentance by an angel of God, and they were changed. And what did they do? They were changed in their heart, and they were motivated to go out and, and, and serve the Lord. And so they went and they journeyed a certain way, and they realized, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to split up. And so what did they do before they split up and went their other ways? Because they knew that each one of them was going into a challenge. It says they fasted and prayed, and they were stressed out, and they were concerned, and they, they wanted to know that the Lord was going to be with them. So those men together humbled themselves and asked God to bless them in the efforts they were going to make. And it says the word of the Lord came to them and said, be comforted, and they were comforted. And then the Lord told them, you be patient in tribulations, and I'm going to give you success because you want to call men to repentance. And each of those men, they went out, and they had great success but, you know, there's this place in Scripture where it talks about that Alma, or maybe it was Ammon, who he saw him again after all these years, and these men had been through terrible, difficult times. They had been abused, and they had, had not been able to eat, and they'd been thrown into prisons and all this sort of stuff. And it says that their friend, he looked at him, and he was just heartbroken for the difficulties that they had gone through. And why did he care so much? Because he loved these men. These men loved each other. They were invested in each other and in each other's uh, efforts to be followers and servants of God. They were invested in each other. And what we find after that is after all these years of them going in and preaching the gospel to all these different places and having all this success, when they came back together again, they spent this time talking about and rejoicing in the things that they had done. 
Yeah, you know, I had this success. This miraculous thing happened here. Oh, God did this awesome thing here. And they joyed in the successes of others. See, this is one of those things that we have to do as friends. We have to joy in the successes of others. Have you ever watched the movie, The Count of Monte Cristo? If you remember this particular movie, The Count of Monte Cristo, there was about two men, right? And this one man was was a rich uh, son. He was a son of a rich man who had this, this uh, boats and the shipping thing and all that. And the other one was, you know, he was just a crew member. And they had this quote-unquote friendship. And one of the things that, that they found is, is that any time that this other man, that this, uh, that this poorer son had some sort of success, the rich friend was always upset about it. He was never willing to share in a victory for his friend. They truly didn't have a true friendship, right? I mean, you watch the movie, you realize the guy was a terrible guy. But it was the guise of friendship, but it really wasn't. It was this one-sided relationship. There was not friendship to be had there. One of these things that friends do is even if I'm having a difficult time, my life is not going well, things are difficult for me, I'm going to joy in the successes of my friend. I am going to, to, to praise the Lord for the good things that are happening for someone else, even when my life might not be going the way that I want it to. Because I love this other man, because I love this other person, and I want to see their life turn out well, that's exactly why I do those things. So how do you become a, a better friend? I want, to, I want to kind of draw this to a close here with this. You look back at my previous podcast, the one about the burden of manhood, what was one thing I want you to take from that? It's a choice. We choose. We choose to care about somebody else more than us. This applies to friendship with men, friendship with your wife, all of those things. You need to make the choice. It's not all about me. I choose to be a servant. I choose to be self-sacrificial. I choose to care about something that is beyond me. Make that choice. Be a better friend. Be supportive and sacrificial. Even if what is said is painful if it's for the purpose of building someone up we read in proverbs 27 6 it says faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful sometimes as friends we have to be willing to say tough things to our other friend be willing to say that seasoned with salt for the purpose of building up that other man and if you have to be critical of your friend if you have to call him up higher make sure that he knows you love him Make sure that he knows it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Open up to each other. Work to build trust between the both of you. You know, when we begin to share experiences, feelings, all of those things that are difficult for us as men, it's hard to want to say something that makes us feel vulnerable or weak, but it's really in our weakness that we're able to strengthen each other. It's those things that bond each other. Make time for friendships. Make time for your friends. Even if you only have a few minutes, I know life is busy. If you have friends, take time. Even if it's for a few minutes, make it a meaningful conversation, a meaningful interaction. Make sure that they know how you feel about them. And if it means that you have to give up some sleep or something like that for their needs or to strengthen that friendship, be willing to do it. You know, my mother-in-law, she had this particular aspect. There was something that was ingrained in her that is, uh, uh, I need to have more of it. She was always in the moment. If she was in a conversation with you, that her attention, everything was completely about you. It was about you. And it wasn't about everything else. It wasn't about what's going on on my cell phone. It wasn't about checking Facebook or anything like that. It wasn't about any other distraction right there. The time she gave you she was in that moment. Be in the moment for the men who are around you. 
Make time for each other. Sharpen each other. Challenge each other. Call each other up higher. Right? We should always be challenging each other to do better than we were before. It's not competitive, but it's not wallowing in the mire. It's looking at the fact that God has called us to rise up and to rise above. Provoke your friends to good works. You know, there's that scripture that says that, that you provoke one another to good works. I provoked my sister my whole entire life, and I still do it to this day. I just try to do little things to try to get her to, 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 to frustrate her or whatever it is. I, I probably shouldn't do that, right? It, I just get a kick out of it. But, but I take this particular scripture and I look at it the same way, you know, this scripture that says to provoke one another to good works. You do those things and you encourage that other person to do better. Encourage them to do better. Positive encouragement. Everyone does better with some positive encouragement. Everyone does better, and we need that sort of thing. You know, your friend should do that. So I hope that that in uh, the time that, that you've taken to listen to this podcast, that you found something of benefit, that you found something of motivation. I want to finish with this. I want to come right back to this. Jonathan loved David. Be willing to express the deep feelings that you have for those people around you. Look to those men who are in your life who you know that you love. Be willing to tell them that. Express to them how important their relationship is to you. And I'm telling you, there's no better way to say it than to heartfelt tell them, I love you. There are these men in my life who I have no shame in telling them that. Like I said, just the other day, over at my friend's house, and you know, <laughs> it doesn't even seem weird. Grab a hold of them, give them a hug, say, hey man, I love you. That's uh, something that men, true Christian men, are not afraid to express to their friends. They're not, ex- they're not afraid to express their love. They're not afraid to express their love to their friends. They're willing to do all of these things that I've talked about in this podcast and probably many more that as you listen to this, you're going to think of other aspects of Christian friendship that we need to be embodying. But I hope that as you've taken the time to listen to this particular podcast, you found something to put to use in your life, something that's made you think, um, and that and that you uh, begin to strengthen the friendships in your life and that you rise up, that you arise out of the dust, and that you be godly men.